Welcome to the Dead Lights Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Johnston. And I am your other host, Leslie, bringing you your weekly dose of horror, everybody. And today we have... Spence. That's Spence. (laughs) Welcome, Spence. Thank you. Welcome to the Dead Lights space. I'm glad to be here. We just just met each other right now. This very (laughs) second, actually. Mm -hmm. We met... Right here, I just walked into the building silently. Mm -hmm. I didn't make eye contact with either of them until this moment so that you, the people, could feel the truth of our new love for one another. I think so. We were blindfolded. You had needles in your eyes. Yes, so I had to watch. You had to. In the eyes, not like taped to the bottom necessarily. In it. Yeah, just how I like it. Just how Mm -hmm. I like it. Fair enough. But um, I'm glad you made it. Yeah. However you made it, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you're here. Yeah. Um, On this beautiful 30 degree weather. Oh, I know. It's a now. balmy 30 degrees in Chicago. Yeah. Illinois. And we spent it being inside watching some horror movies. Ooh, what did we watch? Well, we just watched Opera oh. from 1987, written and directed by Dario Argento. A young opera singer is stalked by a deranged fan bent on killing the people associated with her to claim her for himself. Mm. Oh, oh, oh. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. But in Italian. But in Italian. Yeah. But all <laughs> dubbed in Italian. horribly <laughs> in, um, in English as well. <laughs> that um, was terrible. Why didn't I say that? So I think let... Was this your first time watching it, Spence? This is my first time seeing this. Film. Okay, so for all of us, this is our first experience with this. Um, Dario Argento, obviously, is a big name in horror, giallo yeah. horror, uh, horror history. So I was pretty excited, actually, that we got the opportunity to feature one of his movies on the podcast. I've been looking forward to seeing more of his films. He is on that list of, like, alternate geek filmmakers yeah. that... Like per, in, that in particular, alternate geek cinephiles really like to either reference or talk about, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like a really big gaping hole in uh, my viewing experience that I haven't seen very many of his movies. So the only one I've seen so far is Tenebrae, sure. right? That, that was like actually him. Uh, I did see the Suspiria remake, but I didn't see the actual movie. For the record, apparently he did not like the remake. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. It moves a little faster. Dario moves slow. I think I'm learning he that. He yes. likes to take yes. his time. And, um, well, we'll get into that. Yeah, he's definitely the type of filmmaker where you see one of his movies, you immediately know it's him. Because yeah. no one else can really make a movie like him. Oh. Um, and he also has this incredible ability to mix his awesome colors and cinematography and editing with music. And yeah. this, mm-hmm. and that's in all of his movies, but in this one in particular, where it's about the opera, it's about a yeah. singer, it's about music. So there was this, like, it almost felt like we were watching an opera because there was just like almost wall to wall music in mm-hmm. this, in this film, um, which was cool. You know, it, it paced it out and um, yes, it was a little long and slower at points, but I felt like I was pretty engaged the whole time for the we whole were ride. taken on a ride. Yeah. It was uh, a ride. Literally and figuratively. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I could see, like, I could see Barry Sonnefeld. 
I can or Barry Sonnenfeld. I can see uh like Robert Rodriguez. I can mm-hmm. see like th- there's like a number of filmmakers who are influenced by Argento yeah. and watching this particular movie and thinking about the other one. I've only seen the two so far, but like thinking about those two movies and what they have in common in terms of the aesthetic sensibilities, it's like, oh, this is maybe where Tim Burton gets some of that mm. juice from. Mm-hmm. This is clearly where Quentin Tarantino gets some of that juice from. Mm-hmm. This, you know, etc. Like it, it, that was kind of happening in a way that was a little distracting. I'm sorry. I was a little distracted by that, but that's not the movie's fault. No, a lot of the camera work <laughs> I was really impressed by. Oh, man. And I well, was just like, how did you do that? You know, back in the, when was this? Late eighties. Yeah. Late eighties. I should have made a, how the hell did you do that? list mm. how'd you be, do that how'd you do that? how'd you do that dario yeah and i think that's just what i really truly like about his films it's the camera work it is a whole i mean i, I know it's a whole separate instrument and um it's just a whole different like expression that he does it's it's yeah no one else is doing it like him and I am, I just am fascinated. I have so many things to say. Well, let's get into it then. Let's start off with The Can, the yeah. actual filmmaking of opera. And I mean, from the start and pretty much unrelentingly, the camera was moving. And the camera was moving <laughs> through spaces, into people, as people from their POV. Mm-hmm. Um, as the bird. As the bird. As the little girl. As the killer. You know? It was one of the most, um, to me, it felt like one of the most voyeuristic films I've seen in a while because the camera moving constantly and moving through these spaces around people just gives you the sense someone is watching you always. And the, and this person, it. it's great, this person that we're focusing on, the main character, is a person who's in the limelight, a person who's always being watched on TV by ca- uh, casting directors, directors, by her friends, a person by who's... By a little girl. By a little girl. Nice yeah. yeah. Um, she's quite literally saved by a voyeur. Exactly. And so also... Uh, and then there's a voyeur that's also chasing her. That's really kind of fascinating. We have all, like, all spectrums of voyeurism in this yeah. film. Because, yeah. yeah, I was thinking that, too, is, like, we're scared of the voyeur through this whole film, that being the killer. We don't know who it is. We don't know who it is. It could be anyone around that corner, behind me, wherever. And then in the end, part of her savior is someone who has been watching, watching her. her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Who and, is one of the cute red herrings. There's a few of those. Yes. Those which cute little red herrings. Dario loves red herrings. Yeah. There's that, that sense of constant motion in concert with very fast cutting. Um, which was occasionally jarring, but only because, you know, as a film viewer in the 21st century, mostly, like, you know, we're conditioned uh, for pace to be a certain way. And really, I mean, as a film viewer in general, especially in the West, we're conditioned for film to be at a certain pace, for, for logic to be received at a certain pace. This movie doesn't follow that at all no um no, if it no, wants no. to cut to a quick zoom and then cut to something else very quickly it will do that just so that you get like a very small piece of information and mm-hmm. it doesn't even necessarily give you time to process it it seems as though it doesn't want you to process it and that's another thing that's kind of consistent throughout yes. the film and that's i think something that he does so well throughout all of his movies and something that i think people really try to 
recreate some more successful than others is this laying out the story and the pieces of the puzzle mm. in such a way where it is like completely in your face. Like we get blatant, like this is an information shot, but we still don't know what that means until the very end. Yeah. So I feel like his movies have such good watchability because if we were good to go watch this movie again now, knowing who the killer was, knowing how it all shakes down, we're going to take those split second shots Mm-hmm. more to heart and clock those more because oh yeah. that's what we were that's what he was saying like so these somewhat jarring and maybe overwhelming scenes yes they seem kind of crazy but it's all for a purpose whether it's to make us feel uncomfortable or well or whether it's to slide a tiny bit of information in there without us even realizing it yeah it's mood and tone seem to really be driving mm-hmm. the experience here more so than plotting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the script. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it really has... Because um, it, 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 I wrote this down a couple times, actually, um, in here and in there. It There's a kind of uh, dream logic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that this movie uh, is arranged around. Um, and so this idea of like obsession and a really, really uh, strong interest in kink and fantasy uh, yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and like a, and a fanciful fascination with brutality mm-hmm. um, seem to be what the movie is arranged around and everything else is more or less a. Uh, a carrier, a device to get us there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the dubbing too, throughout the whole film, just kind of was too distracting on my part. That oh. I wanted it to be just muted for the script. We kept the music on and everything, and I think it would have still perhaps told a better story than the actual words themselves. But I think this is what I got also from his other movies, Suspiria, is that the... Sorry, but the script is garbage. Everything else about his films are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, like you mentioned, the dreamlike kind of scenes were colored in blue, just absolutely bathed in blue, and all the warning was red. Everything was just, like, flashing red and colors of red and just, yeah. Yep. So that's what I like, because this video also used that. Mm. Very. Yep. He loves his colors. Well, I think that, that um, this all perfectly leads us into the meat of what, what are we actually talking meat. about. We, we kind of lightly already talked about the voyeurism of this mm-hmm. movie, and Almost the the dangers and the benefits of voyeurism. Uh, how can they? How they can hurt you and how they can help you. Mm. Um, and obviously, the the obvious example is voyeurism bad for the stalker. Mm. We're we're getting this obsession, this uh, um, this sex crazed, kink crazed killer who wants to recreate a fantasy that he has over and over and over again, um, and he's stalking his victim to do it. On the flip side, we have the little girl who is obsessed with the main character as well, but in a more ad- admiring kind of way. I, she wants to be her. She wants to have her life. 
you know, the little girl is fantasizing about being the famous actress. That is interesting. And one of the things that I'm not sure was brought to a thematic conclusion, but both the cop presents himself as a fan, as Mm -hmm. does the little girl. Um, And that's interesting in like a bookends kind of way. Because you know we meet him in the first act, we meet her in the final act, and that's that's intriguing. I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's just kind of an yeah. interesting thread that's there. We have these this like massive spectrum of fandom, you know, and that kind of goes along with this voyeuristic idea. But it's an added layer that I like that this movie kind of plays with because she's in the limelight, and mm-hmm. we're talking about the dangers of being in the limelight and the obsession that people can have with a person without even knowing them. What I like about her character is that she is a um, she's like a resilient hero. I can't remember exactly the phrase that they say, but she doesn't want in the beginning, the first scene when we meet her, she doesn't want the part. She's yeah. like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, it's the people, hero. the reluctant yeah. hero. She's the one she doesn't want to be in the limelight. She seems like she's fine not being famous and not having these big parts. Yes, well, it's her she passion. She want to do Macbeth because it was Bad. It's mm-hmm. cursed. The curse. The yeah. curse. Macbeth and is cursed, everyone. It is. Um, Be careful. <laughs> and <laughs> what's kind of intriguing to me about that, um, you know, this idea of Macbeth being cursed. So there's a director character in the movie who is a filmmaker who's directing Macbeth, which is cursed. Um, the actual director of this movie, Dario Argento, is a movie director who tried to direct a stage production of Macbeth um, that didn't work out. Um, That's on my list of fun facts. Oh, fun fun facts. facts. Fun facts. So, yeah, that was a self-insert character um, there. And um, so whether or not that means that the whole thing was at least in part a meditation on his bad experience of being Mm -hmm. a film director trying to do that, if you remember, there is a lot of that you know, you're a filmmaker and you're bringing film to our theater world and, bleh, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of snobbery around uh, him being a film director, which is intriguing because, not to skip ahead or anything, but I, there is kind of an irresistible, oh boy, theater kind of energy to the <laughs> yeah. whole thing yeah. that yeah. I found kind of irresistible, which is intriguing, juxtaposed the experience that this filmmaker seemed to or did have in the movie that maybe mirrors the experience that the actual filmmaker had when he was trying to do a play. Mm -hmm. And that's a weird kind of concentric concentric circle of ideas. Knowing that now, that is what he's trying to say. (laughs) That's it. That's it. He's he's trying to say, oh boy, theater. (laughs) Yeah. Guys. I could be a filmmaker and be a theater maker. Right? No. No. Well, because at the end of the film, the filmmaker returns to film. He's Definitely. like, he yeah. just like gives it up. And I think he that that's kind of what Dario realized too. He's like, ah, you know what? Go back to film. <laughs> yeah. That's another aspect of the obsession uh, thread. We'll call it a thread for now. There's sure. a better word out there. <laughs> Callers, you call in and tell us what the better word is. Lines are open We're now. We're live, actually, right now. 1-800-DEAD-LIGHTS. <laughs> That's too many numbers, but it doesn't matter. 1-800-DEAD-LIGHTS. Fees may apply. <laughs> um, I, lo- I like lost... What, what the fuck obsession. Oh, obsession. So, thank you. So, the director, like... 
an accident happens in the beginning of the movie and the director's immediate response is keep going. Yep. <laughs> which is just go. really remarkable. Someone has just died, which he didn't know about, but like a piece of equipment had just fallen and there's kind of maybe an active fire happening in the theater. Yeah. yeah. But we got to get the scene done. The show must the go show on. Must... Remarkable. Yeah. He's, he's killing it. Argento wrote this movie. Um, and something that I found fascinating is that it seemed that he was attempting to speak to the lived experience of being a woman. Hmm. And I, you know, I think that that might be part of where the movie stumbles because, you know, you can't do that when you, when you don't have that body and lived experience. But it felt like. Um, he was trying to speak to that, particularly in the first act, with all that repetition about like what people think sopranos do mm-hmm. and um, what people think that women do. There was a bunch of that kind of stuff in there, um, you know. So like her bracing against like the 1980s idea of institutional misogyny or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know if, the, if I'm stretching. It just felt like that quite a lot. Like yeah. it was trying to speak to that. Um, and uh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. As, as the woman in the room. Hey, um, that's, we'll send it over to Leslie Soto. Hello. Hi. Um, yes, I was um, very upset with a lot of uh, scenes and actions and uh, just overall, just the way that the women were portrayed. Mm. Um, you know, the scene with the costume designer and how desperate and like she just was when she grabbed the chain from the guy from the murder after she fucking banged his head with the iron. And she was just like, eh. I'm like, why? That's not logical. Like, I don't know. You yeah. at that moment. I don't think she would have just done that and just kind of started staring at it. I mean, I know that it was made out of gold and gold was valuable back in the 80s, maybe. It's a very good conductor. Oh. Heat conductor. She could have like, I don't know. Uh, there was <laughs> there was more that I wished our women characters would have done to be able to save themselves or other people around mm-hmm. them. Um, that There's a lot of girl, period, <laughs> that I wrote on my notes because I was just like, man, like... You did say that a bunch. Oh, yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what Why are you, are you riding the opposite way? What are you doing? Are you doing? But yes, it is this perspective of a man uh, writ, like writing a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you yeah. don't know jack shit. Yeah. None of the movie uses real world logic that I, in any way that no. I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, Only the birds did. Yeah. Well, even then, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, um, I don't know that real world logic carries us ever from scene to scene. So I yeah. found myself constantly asking why but in a not not so much in a why kind of way but in a oh why 
Because everything on the page, like, okay, like let's take, for example, something that y'all called out um, during the movie that I was also thinking about, but maybe in a different way. Like the, the costume shop is covered in like shards of cloth, uh-huh. which doesn't make sense for like a working theater. Those places are pretty organized and there wouldn't yeah. be all of that mess everywhere. But earlier in the movie, the director or the the director's uh, companion talked about him being ripped to shards specifically. Mm. And then he commented that he's glad that he wasn't physically ripped to shards or something like that. And mm. then like later in the movie, when they're in the fire, um, she tries to pick up the key that gets her out of the room with her bare hand, but it doesn't work. So she because it's hot, so she mm-hmm. rips a piece of her costume off so that she could pick it up. Um, and then, like, it, in the thing that sort of led us to that scene was a costume being cut Ripped. up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it, it. I don't know that I have an answer for why any of that, but it was a consistent like image yeah. mm-hmm. that flowed throughout the movie pretty much until the end of the line. Well, maybe he is just saying that like his, I mean, like you mentioned, one of the fun facts is that he actually tried to make mm. a Macbeth play and he was ripped to shreds. You know, mm-hmm. you know, all the critics are just telling him to go back to filmmaking. Yeah. Um, when it never got made. Oh. No, when it never got so, made. Yeah, never got made. Failed. Yeah. Yeah. Producers pulled out or something like that. Mm. Probably. Yep. So he, it was just getting torn apart. Yeah. And um, there is this mirroring of the, the, the actions that the murderer wanted to do was, it seemed like, rip this person apart. Mm. Um, and when the seamstress, the the costume designer, was trying to like uh, redo the torn costume that Betty wears. Um, she had a box cutter for some fucking reason and trying to cut every gem and it mirrored that kind of like what he was tr- like envisioning as he was cutting. Like a meticulousness. That's a really interesting mm-hmm. uh, notion there. Um, there was a serial killer that, that did that, that oh. cut like women's nipples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely... Oh. And also thinking about the, this is all about fantasy and obsession, and Mm -hmm. he as the killer is trying to recreate a fantasy that he had lived. Costumes are part of what make the theater, like part of what make the fantasy. You put on a costume to embody a character. And so this obsession with costumes is just continuing this obsession with fantasy. You're going to put this costume on for me as the viewer to be able to go to that fantasy yeah. easier. And then for him, because what is his fantasy? He wants to rip people to shreds, just rip up that, that's uh, everyone really. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that just kind of feeds back to his just obsession with recreating that old life that he had. And so, okay, that all, all that stuff sounds Good. All these themes sound cool. <laughs> but how did how did we actually cook it? How did they actually present these themes through the movie? And did they present them well? Um, mm-hmm. I thought you said something interesting earlier, Spence, where does the cook matter? 
Yeah. Does it matter? I wrote, yeah, I, I wrote down on our little, on our handy dandy sheets here, I wrote down, um, not sure it matters. No. <laughs> I wrote a lot of stuff in every other section. That was like the one section I was like, I'm not sure it matters. But I will say this, um, every one of the sections of the movie, or not the sections of the movie, all of the elements of this movie, all of the parts coalesce. Mm. There's not a single piece of this film that I could in good conscience and good faith say they're just throwing stuff at the wall. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of intentionality, like meticulous intentionality behind every thing that happens from the way that the camera moves to the performances that the actors give these very big, like, uh, uh, melodramatic performances yes. from everyone, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the, in, in the next section, but, <laughs> you know, uh, to the, to the colors of the lights, mm -hmm. um, to, and the mood coding that comes with it, like everything felt like it was put together kind of like a clock, you know, mm. like little, little, what do you call those things in clocks? Little gears. Little gears just <laughs> turning. That's what humans call them, gears. Yeah. <laughs> All the little gears are put together with like precise movements to make the thing the thing. Yeah. So I would call it successful in that sense. Yeah. I never felt like I was seeing something that didn't feel rooted. Yes. Right. This recipe, if we're going along with this uh, food, uh, metaphor that I've set up here. Yes. Um, everything is in the recipe, really. Everything mm -hmm. that he, and he, he's not putting anything extra in there, like you've already talked about, to make it too sweet, too spicy, oh, sure. too whatever. Everything is servicing. He wrote a recipe first. He did? He did? My wife's a chef. Oh, wow. Oh, and I knew that. My, my, my wife doesn't typically write recipes. She just kind of Oh just creates. Here's what's God. in the fridge. Here's what's around. We're gonna make the thing. She MacGyver's it. Love that. Yes. But, but this guy in this particular situation, no, he wrote a recipe. Dario. Dario is yes. definitely a recipe <laughs> writer. And again, yes. like I've said before, he's at a point in his career where he's made a lot of recipes he's up until this point. Yeah. So he knows all the stuff that he's gonna focus on, and that is something that I do really always talk about in this podcast. Is intentional filmmaker, mm -hmm. filmmaking, and he. He is, is one, one of, of the most intentional filmmakers yes. that we have ever seen. I mean, yes. some scenes, some scenes are just like, oh, that came out of nowhere. Mm. But, I mean, it still, it tells the story. Yeah. You know? And um, yet he's, he's taking those elements and maybe that we've talked about in the meet and maybe not presenting them in the best way or the fullest way for, you know, him writing a story about women's experience, you know, he could never fully explore that in a genuine way. Sure. But he is trying to in this mm -hmm. cook. Yeah. He's yeah, doing I mean, everything he can to, I guess. He, he was clearly fascinated by like, I, I like, I've only seen the Suspiria remake, um, mm -hmm. which as previously mentioned, he uh, went on record as not liking. One of the things about that movie that I would say in contrast to now the other, the actual two Argento movies that I've seen it is, while it is really, really out there, um, there's a sense of straightforwardness to mm -hmm. it. And straightforwardness um, does not seem to be on the menu here, going back to our food no. metaphor. Mm -hmm. that, that, that seems to, in fact, be very much antithetical to what we're trying to accomplish with uh, opera. And the thing is, too, 
even though I question a lot and when I'm watching movies is the logic mm. like doesn't make sense to me. And you know what? I'm just going to take it back in Suspiria and in this one. Now that I've watched two of his movies, um, the lot he has a specific logic, mm. you know, like and an idiosyncratic with, logic yes, to him kind and of thing. Maybe yeah. whatever the logic is, he follows through and okay, great. Like, it's not what I would do or agree with, <laughs> but you know, it, it happens. And it's his world, I it's guess. It's his world. Yeah. Um, but he is intentional with all the other aspects, like we mentioned, and I still love his filmmaking. I think mm. it's uh, it's just wacky and like you mentioned earlier, you know it's his film, and I think that's really freaking cool. He it ain't Monet. A Monet. It's Pollock, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so okay, we're talking about horror too. Yeah. So let's talk about the thrill. The thrill. How scary was this actual film? And to me, he can do tension like no other. Like mm. he can build suspense so well. And I mean, in this movie in particular, where the music was such an important part of it, he's using music to build up suspense in a scene. And we know at a certain point that the killer could be around any corner. And he uses that so well to make us constantly on edge. When you use a heartbeat as the background sound... Yes, it's going to kickstart my heart pumping. Um, There's also a visual accompaniment to that. Yeah, with the, the brain screen, expanding. And the entire screen warbling. Yeah, like, it's it's uh, it's eerie. I hate it. And also the needles on the eyeball. Oof. Anything with eyeballs, I cannot do. This is not the movie for you if you can't do eyeballs. Definitely this, not. This no. is an eyeball. This is a feast yeah. for eyeball torture kitty, kitty, enthusiasts. Kitty, 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 kitty. Have you seen Audition? I have not seen Audition yet. Oh. So that's another alternate geek director mm-hmm. um, who I've, I've, I think I've only seen like one of his movies. Um, but yeah, Takashi Miike, he's another one of those cats where like I haven't seen uh, much of his stuff. Yet. 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 I don't like torture scenes or movies, but I mean, we're doing this podcast and there's going to be some some films that we're going to come across, but um, it wasn't too much for me to, you know, not be able to endure it. Well, and with Audition and I think with this film as well, the art of what we're seeing and how they're presenting it outweighs the torture. We I, want we want to watch it because it's so he shoots it so well. But mm-hmm. even though we're watching someone get needles taped under their eyes so they can't blink and they have to watch what's going on, I mean we're getting shots behind the needles. Yes, of yes. her POV. I'm gonna. Uh tag that because we were talking about like story logic real world logic versus the dream logic of this film like when you're watching it you know it's very clear that this doesn't actually work Mm -hmm. you tape something to my eyelids it's going that way i can blink just fine 
it's not going to hurt my eyes. But the image is so powerful combined with the occasional blood that you would Mm -hmm. see that is a result of her blinking. They thought about it, right? They know this doesn't work. But, you know, what did Hitchcock say? Film should be stronger than reason. And I think that that's a perfect example of something. It was stronger than reason. Like, in my reasonable brain, it's like, that doesn't fucking work. But in my, uh, I don't know, not reasonable brain, whatever, the part of me that's just enjoying (laughs) the art, I'm like, fuck. You know, so I think that that's uh, something, there's something to be said for that. But, like, to to respond to your thing in particular, I I did have a thought about that. Um, This, like juxtaposition of melodrama with like lovingly photographed brutality mm-hmm. that was really jarring that that, oh, that created yeah. like a unique and palpable effect mm-hmm. you know also i'm an actress so to be in the position of being like doing these scenes where she is actually she actually does have something in her like a in her like eyeballs vicinity mm. you know that in itself and mm. then having to do three different torture scenes and for who knows how long ah that's terrible so i think about those things of just like oh no like she's had to be in this mindset of being tortured and ugh. Yeah. She's been on the set all day with those needles taped to her eyelids. <laughs> Don't oh. take them off, honey. You're fine. Uh, you know, this was in the days of film, so it probably weren't getting like 500 takes. That's fair. That's fair. True. They had a limited oh, amount of film. You only had Betty. so many feet of film that you Woo! could shoot. Yeah. Uh, Thank God, Betty. So that keys into what we were talking about earlier um, quite perfectly. Well done. Um, the way that the murders yeah. were staged and blocked um there was this kind of ritualistic meticulous thing where he would tie her up and he would put those things on so that she had to watch and then he would perform the murder and then he would go over to her and he would cut part of her binds so that she could release herself partially and then she would go out into the street or whatever and very pretty calmly proceed to wherever she was going to next as she processed uh, what was happening. Um, It felt very much like a meditation on kink or at very least a fascination with the idea of kink. Mm -hmm. I found that really intriguing, um, especially as we, uh, we we do it three times, Mm -hmm. right? The first two times, you know, her eyes are open and it's the same methodology with the tying her up. The third time we cover her eyes, mm-hmm. which I also thought was really interesting and kind of powerful. I liked that moment because he, right before that, was blinded partially by the birds. And then we see him blind her. That made me think... Okay, everything that is being done just goes back to servicing him and his fantasy. Like us as the audience and the viewer, everything that we're seeing in a film or in a play is going back to servicing us. So we get blind, you get blind. We have to see everything, you have to see everything. And it's this um, using her uh, for our own pleasure. You know, we are using 
as the viewer, as the killer, she's just an object that is, that is in our fantasy and will change to service our fantasy. That was what I was thinking until we got to the end. <laughs> when it turns out, well, um, I can't say for certain what it turns out exactly, but at a minimum, it turns out that she's got a fascination of some sort mm-hmm. with the killing that she had ritualistically been a part of watching voyeuristically mm-hmm. as both a subject and an object of voyeurism. That's just a really intriguing thing. Yeah. Because you always, you, she, she can have the idea of like, Oh, but what is it like to be on the other side? You know? And we have this at the end reveal that her mother the reason that the killer is doing all this is because Betty's mother was teaming up with the killer at one point and having him kill women in front of her and she would watch. And he's trying to recreate that now with her daughter. Um, so I think in her mind, too, she has to think, like, am I going to turn out like my mother? Am I going to become this uh, bloodlustful person that um my mother was and i think that that's kind of the killer's goal is to get someone that is like her mother and he thinks if i tie her down and make her watch maybe she'll become like her mother was and we can go off together so it's the joker and harvey Dent. a little bit yeah a little bit yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) he's trying to like he's trying to make everyone all the audience see his macbeth play Mm. He wants to fucking tie them up, put needles under their eyes so they can finally be able to see his play. That he That's kind of to. sweet. <laughs> there, there's Aww. something kind of sweet. I just want you to watch. I just want just, you to watch my play, King. Yeah, That's all I want you to do. I just can, will you just do it? Please watch just, my Macbeth. Just show. give me a chance. You've seen Macbeth like ten times, and they were all the same. Let me just do it my own. There's way. a really great dance number with a bunch of crows. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, overall. How was the ride? How was the actual journey that Argento took us on? Mm-hmm. For me personally, I never really felt bored. Nope. Um, it felt like we were constantly driving towards something, or at least he was giving us something interesting to look at. Yeah. In pretty much every moment. Or question. Or question. Yeah. Mm. Our brains were constantly going. That's something that he does strong is presenting information that we inherently try to piece together before it's all laid out for us. Mm-hmm. He does it very well. I, I want to see it again to, mm-hmm. to be able to tie all the loose ends. And um, I still don't think the neighbor little girl was uh, needed, but she, she needed to get uh, the fuck out of there. So I guess, you know, she was, that. she was necessary, but that did seem like a little bit of a random moment when you have a child coming out of the vent system. Come over here. We <laughs> did do the work of establishing her early on a couple as times like a uh-huh. as a as a person who watched the thing and she was a cute um one, one of our list of cute yeah, uh, red herrings as a uh as a as a silhouette that passed behind the vent right mm-hmm. we're meant to think oh cry, someone here to do some damage is what Don't that cry. is it's the killer I in the vent i know why i'm using that accent to describe that but that's just the thing but you know i'm gonna i'll say this just one more time because this is for that section there's that that old 
boy theater sensibility, that that energy that permeates the entirety of the film um, that I just couldn't help but get swept up in. This movie absolutely loves theater. This movie absolutely loves Shakespeare. Um, oh, fun fact. This fun fact is going to really kind of mess with your brain. Oh, here we go. Mess with my brain. So check it out. I'm buckling in. Ian Charles. Ian Charlson who played the director, the blonde guy. Yeah. That was his last role. <gasps> right? No, he He's died. the guy that's based on Argento, uh-huh. right? He was, he died of AIDS complications oh, no. three years after that movie, eight weeks before performing in Hamlet. <gasps> what a thing. Oh, oh my God. Thing. Which he Which references, he quotes. Oh, directly. In the theater, and you in were the, the one theater, that called that that's where it came from. In the theater that spoke about Macbeth, that yeah. said the Macbeth. curse show. Yeah, hell of a thing. Curse Whoa. show. Now, you know, I'm not a, you know, curses guy. I'm, I'm a whatever gets you through the day kind of guy. <laughs> so, you know, could it be that the cursed show followed him, you know, in, into the years? Sure, why not? Also... Um, he was a gay man. We were in the middle of the AIDS mm-hmm. epidemic, and he's a part of uh, one of the more vulnerable parts of our population. So it could have been the curse of Macbeth, or it could have been institutional neglect around a very yep. serious uh, epidemic. epidemic. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you choose. Maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Callers. Yeah. 1-800. <laughs> <laughs> like, please may apply. <laughs> Your timing. Don't, was don't forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, our, wow. Opera. Nineteen eighty-seven. Lord. Opera. So let's get wow, to these. Uh, thank you. Um, no, mine. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let us get to some Smash Pumpkin ratings. Oh, Smash Pumpkin ratings. Smash Pumpkin ratings. So, out of five Smash Pumpkins, how do we think Opera did? Let us start with you, Spence, the newcomer. Again, Here we, we go. Need to do points. We could do a point. Yeah, out of five. Yeah, you can five go down. Five smashed to, pumpkins. Go I'm gonna I'm gonna do like out of five smashed pumpkins, and I'm only gonna do whole numbers here. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm gonna do. Cool. You do what you wanna do. You do what you wanna do. Okay. Do what you gotta do. You do Thank what you, you want. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. Yeah. I'm gonna give this. I'm already gonna break my own rule. I'm gonna give this four and a half, <laughs> four and a half. out of five Woo. smashed pumpkins. Woo. I think that this movie was. Um, a a sensory delight. Um, I think that there are very few films, um, especially in this era. I don't want to take up too much space, but like we're, I'm looking at behind the camera right now. There's a poster of a Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, and Halloween. Those movies made up the milieu of that era in filmmaking. And that was also a period in Italy where dealing with a little bit of a recession, as I understand it. So, like, movie money was tight. And so I don't know enough to say that this was a direct response to Western horror films. But if you were to tell me that this film, opera, is in effect the Jallo answer to... uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, etc. I would find it very difficult to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
But hell of a movie, hell of an experience, um, lurid and fascinating and very clearly uh, influential on so many different kinds of filmmakers Mm -hmm. who I absolutely adore. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Aria, 4.5. Love it. 4.5. Lely? Um, I'm in the same boat. I'm going to do four. Four. Yeah. Four smash pumpkins. Um, If you just want to see this for the sake of just the filmmaking, please do. He is really great at that. Um, You will learn a lot. Um, And it just kind of like makes me... I want to, I mean, I don't know if this is a correct uh, term, but like, I want to say we've gotten to a point with filmmaking right now that is like rather neat, you Mm -hmm. know, unless you're watching an indie film or something that's going to be out of the norms of what Hollywood is trying to put out. I thought you meant like, that's neato. Like neato. No, no, no. I said like, like neat. Like clean. Yes. Clean. Like this is and, absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. We don't have those spin shots anymore. That We got those in the 80s, you know, where it's like <laughs> makes you want to puke. Um, just visit our our episode of It because we talked heavily Steven about that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're just spinning around and around and around and around and around. And you're just like, whoa. This is why we don't do it anymore. But yes, there's just like these styles of filmmaking is not what we're doing as much anymore. And with the resurgence of like a lot of um, the nostalgic like 90s and stuff like that, um, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of those kind of styles come back again. And I'm pretty excited. Um, Anything start us? We can happen with us you know yeah we'll watch them filmmakers that do that yeah oh that too yeah definitely and i i completely agree with the fact of this feels like our dario argento is making a film for himself um and that might come from the fact of he's very much pulling from his personal experience um and he just does his thing you know dario's always gonna just do his own thing with his colors and his hyper realities and it's hard not to enjoy the film and you know just Dario doing Dario just Dario doing yeah. Dario and that should have got a shirt <laughs> okay merchant and yeah, <laughs> write that down idea thank you Perfect. just Dario doing Dario TM <laughs> and I think Deadlight. we kind of talked about already in some ways the cook of how things are traditionally presented in films mm-hmm. doesn't really matter because yeah. we have to um, give him props for fully committing to his Argento universe, his yeah, Argento you can't world. Have all of the elements, you know. And sometimes no, you got to tweak the recipe in order exactly. to make it your own. He makes it his own, and no one else can really make them like he can. So I'm also going to give him a four out of five yes! on opera. Opera. Opera 1987. Wow. It was it was quite a, a trip to the opera that we had. Oh, it was we did. quite a movie. Oh, oh. I feel cultured. I feel so cultured. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> um, at some point, the title was Terror at the Opera. That's oh. uh, another fun fact. I, got, I, I like opera. Better. I like opera. Way better. Nice and yeah. Oh, God, way better. You know? Uh, cooler heads prevailed on that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's too, it's too <laughs> close to Phantom of the Opera. Yes. yes. Know, Which is probably opera. exactly why they decided to call it that. 
Because there's Phantom of the Opera vibes in the end when the killer yeah. gets revealed and he's running around and half of his face is fucked up. Fair. And, yeah. You know, they're in the wings of Same the opera. Side. I mean, they're kind of right. doing the whole, they're doing all that. So they probably wanted to reference that. And then Cooler Heads were like, no, let's not do that. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Screw it. We're just doing an opera. Yeah. <laughs> Love well, it. cool. Thank you so much, Spence, for Ooh. being on this show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We have one more bit of business to do yeah. before we get oh, out of here. Nasty business. Here we go. We got to choose the movie for next week. And you, as the guest, gets to pull it out here of the go. bucket. There's over 300 reach key, I'm reaching reach to middle, as top far to the bottom as cool. I can get. And right. so when you pull it out, uh, read the log line first. Because we like to do a little guessing game of what it is, and then we'll reveal what it is. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know a lot of these. Gotta do. Uh... So. Here we go. Oh my gosh, it's always a very exciting part of the podcast. <laughs> the ring. <laughs> okay, here we go. One of these. Not looking. Don't look, Sam. From the moment the new reverend climbs the pulpit, Liz knows she and her family are in great danger. Martin Coolhoven presents Brimstone. Brimstone. Rated R. Oh, oh is probably. It? Wait. Probably. Brimstone. <laughs> Most likely. Wait, when is it? Uh, from released in 2016. Children under me. Oh, okay, never mind. I thought it was the one wow. with um, Cool Boys. By the way. I don't know. What you can do all of our was. log lines. Yeah, that's great. That can become like the new thing. Like you have to do your best. We're just going to be like, hey, Spence. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. We got Spence on speaker. Uh, he's going to present it. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. Brimstone. Man. Next week, another one that we have not seen, neither no. of us. No. So, I've never heard of it. Me? Let me know what you think of it. I put all I these listen to the podcast, and then you'll Please tell me do. what you think about yes. it for at least an hour. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you should do that, too. Tune into the podcast next time. Yeah. Next time on Deadlights. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Would you like to plug yourself before we get out of here? Yeah. Where can people find you? My name is Spence and I am Funky. You can find me at The Real Spence Warren on the Instagram and um, check out Acoustic Ciphers if you like hip hop. You know? Ooh. Acoustic guitars, MCs getting together, lean in for a little bit of hip hop. Acoustic that. Ciphers, check us out. Love that. Nice. Well, you can follow me on Instagram, color me Leslie. And me at Beep Beep Richie T and us at the Deadlights Pod. Deadlights. Also check out Playground Social, which is the studio that we're recording this at. Right here. But this one. Until next time. <laughs> let's get, get spooky. spooky. Ooh. Oh my God, come and get your let's get spooky. <laughs> <laughs>